Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about the new documentary Bombshells and Dollies about a pinup girl contest in Las Vegas. I'm excited to talk about that. We're going to do a little miniature review of Scoob, the new Warner Brothers animated film, because one of us paid $20 to watch it and the other one <laughs> Some not. fool paid $20 to watch it. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, sir? It was a fantastic film. We'll talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the Safdie Brothers' Good Time, which is a thriller on Netflix starring Robert Pattinson. It was made in 2017. Uh, before we get to all that, of course, we need to talk about the news. Our first story, New Mutants uh, finally lands a new August release date. Andy, what is New Mutants? And for people who don't know any better... <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in that movie so new mutants was supposed to be kind of this uh horror thriller of of the x-men variety this was supposed to come out in spring of 2018 and has been given several release dates and they have all inevitably been pushed back it was supposed to come out this past april but then of course because of the uh, coronavirus was uh pushed back and for some reason has not been sold to a streaming service or put on Disney Disney plus since that they now own it. So it is now has another official release date, uh, which I'll believe it when I see it of August 28th. It's really something else. Originally it was filmed in 2017 and it has just been sitting on a shelf and in the whole 20th century Fox Disney shakeup where Disney bought 20th century. It's not really shakeup. Disney just bought 20th century Fox. It got moved around uh, just like movies like Kristen Stewart's underwater that came out earlier this year. Um, they acquired it and it's just kind of been sitting and it's had posters. It's had multiple poster variants come out. We've had a couple of teasers and now a full trailer. Um, but now some pushback again, obviously with coronavirus why why isn't this movie just on a streaming service like why hasn't that happened yet you know i i think a big part of it is just uh it's not quite like the disney brand like it's a little bit too adult for what you would put on disney and it's not really i mean they could put it on hulu because disney also owns uh, a majority stake in that but um i just think it's kind of this attitude of it's it's old stuff it's old fox things we own it we want to make what we can off of it but they want to kind of just move past it. They don't want it part of the Disney brand for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. And it was weird with Underwater. Um, like I said, we talked about that earlier this year. It was actually a pretty good movie. It's not terrible, but it's okay. And that just didn't get anywhere. And they just kind of buried it and didn't really market it. And this movie seems like it might be on the same track. That like this could be something better, but they're not really putting any money behind it. And they're not just putting it on Disney Plus, even though I think it's supposed to be a PG-13 film. Like it's just weird. And... and, and it's supposed to be a weird movie, so I don't know what exactly that means, but when it comes out, you can know we're going to review it, right? Are you are you more excited or less excited about this thing now that it's been <laughs> moved You around? know, I, I finally saw a second trailer, and um, I it looks interesting. Uh, it can't... It's supposed to be kind of more horror-inspired, in, but it's still a PG-13 movie, so I'm not super excited about, about that. But, I mean, the funny thing is, like, all these actors are so much older, like um, Anya Taylor-Joy and uh, Game of Thrones. I can't think of her name now. Uh, Maisie Williams. Yes, thank you. Maisie and Williams. Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. Future when Man. this was supposed to come out is was when Game of Thrones was still popular, and that was quite a long time ago now. Yeah. So it'll be interesting uh to see I, I do want to see it just because it's had such a storied trek to the cinema right yeah uh, me too like at this point I, I gotta know what's going on in this movie for my own sanity uh and speaking of sanity we need to talk about our next story luca guadagnino to direct the scarface reboot 
Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Luca Guadagnino is, of course, the director of Suspiria and a lot of other very strange experimental films. Um, so this is a bit of a surprise. Not only Comic. did I not know they're making Scarface, but yeah. Uh, I was going to say he also did a, the Oscar-nominated uh, Call Me By Your Name. Yes, that's a good point. In fact, Andy knows a little bit more about Luca Guadagnino than I do and Scarface. What's, what's, what's the byline <laughs> on this story, Andy? What's going on? Um... Well, actually, I didn't read this in depth. I was just so excited about right. who's, yeah, who's sure. involved. <laughs> well, okay, so it, it has all the names that you want. So Luca Guadagnino, who's, who I really liked the Suspiria remake, and, of course, uh, Call Me By Your Name, uh, which was also an excellent film. It's also going to be written by the Coen brothers, which um, I think is a really good sign because Suspiria was a little bit too long. The, it did have some script problems, so I, I feel more confident in this movie. And I think I didn't I didn't read. Maybe you know if this is a remake of the 1983 film or is it a remake of like the original 1920s film? Yeah, I've I've got some detail here. It looks like the story is going to be like a, a reimagining okay. of both. Yeah, like the core immigrant story. It's going to be set in L.A., so I guess that's not that far off. I forgot the Scarface is technically a remake. I I was just know that. Tony Montana, you know, Al Pacino version from 83, the Brian De Palma film. I forgot there was a 32 version. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, this is really something else. It's definitely the closest Luca Guadagnino has come to doing some kind of tentpole, right? Typically, I mean, most recently he did Suspiria, which was a remake of a very, very classic horror film of Italian nature. Uh, Call Call Me By Your Name was an original. So this is different for him this is much more like foundational something that already exists big big picture universal's obviously going to be putting some money behind this because scarface is a big property for them so i'm definitely intrigued i'm really intrigued that the cohen brothers are working on the script like that's strange right Uh uh-huh yeah it's um you know, we were we were we had talked about the death of the gangster epic with the Irishman, and now it seems like it's kind of coming back. We just had actually the Capone biopic with Tom Hardy, which had some kind of mixed reviews. But um, yeah, this could be kind of just a new thing. And and I think he's an excellent director. Great use of just how how he shoots and use of things like music. And he's really good about developing themes, um, which you can see in his previous two movies. So I'm pretty excited for this. Yeah, I, I am too. We're going to have to, I don't know, <laughs> find find out more as we go. Luca Guadagnino is also supposed to be directing uh, Lord of the Flies that's being made over at Warner Brothers. So that's another thing on his plate. And then I read about a couple other projects he might be involved in. So uh, for all we know, this could be just an example of, of somebody in Hollywood taking on like six projects because four of them will inevitably fall through. And this may not go anywhere, but considering he's got the Coen brothers and now Luca Guadagnino attached, like this is something something's probably happening with this movie. So stay tuned to off script for more. Our last story this week, we have some news about Christopher Nolan's tenant. Well, not really news, uh, news about Warner brothers and wanting to release it and their requirements to get the movie to come out. Specifically, Warner brothers won't release Christopher Nolan's tenant unless 80% of movie theaters are open. Movie's supposed to come out in July. So that's a lofty goal. Um, what do you know about this, Andy? So Tenet was supposed to be like the return to the theater. Like this was supposed to be the big blockbuster that everyone was going to go out and see and that everyone like, we hope the theaters would be okay to go to by uh, mid-July. And we just really don't know that. Uh, They have, theaters can open in limited capacity in a lot of places, but uh, people aren't really going. You know, a lot of people don't want to be in a a crowded room with uh, 250 strangers or however many it is. So we, we don't really know 
um, how, what the theater situation is, and if it's not, if not enough theaters are open, or if their their capacity isn't enough, um, Tenant won't come out. And if if it does get pushed back, it will get pushed back just one month to August. But if it gets pushed any farther, it probably will be like a Christmas release. Yeah, they'll push this back to like Oscar season because that's primarily where stuff that would have been coming out this summer, I imagine, will play. Um, this is definitely a bummer, right? We were talking about just last week, like. Tenet may be like the first big action release um, coming out of the pandemic. And and I think people would have been really excited about it. Warner Brothers does not have to do a lot of marketing right now because <laughs> there's nobody's going to movies anyway. It seemed like a slam dunk, but only if the timing worked out. And according to this, which comes from, uh, as specified in this article here, solid sources. These are technically rumors. This is not an official announcement by them, but we're assuming journalism happened here because we're a podcast uh, they would need to have like 3,500 screens open in the United States and then another 30,000 screens around the rest of the world just to get a solid box office return because the movie costs $200 million and Christopher Nolan is getting 20% of the first dollar gross. That's a big deal. So they need a lot of theaters open. They need New York and San Francisco open and also uh, uh, LA. LA, yeah, which are 25% of the market for an opening weekend picture. And those are in places where like, Odds are things aren't going to be open, so this yeah. isn't any kind of official announcement. But it seems the odds are. Slim. Yeah, the, they were hard, hardest hit. I mean, yeah, uh, L.A., New York specifically were really pretty hard hit by the uh, coronavirus, and so those are the, the theaters you need to open this up. And if and if they're not open, and I can't. I mean, that's only about two months away. Um, I can't imagine things being like a hundred percent capacity that soon. Yeah, I can't either, which is really a bummer. I'm ready to get back into the movies. Safely, of course. Let me <laughs> clarify. Um, but man, I, I'm definitely missing going to the movies. I'm sure you are too, a little bit, right? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of movies, we should probably move on to formal reviews. Uh, more news about Christopher Nolan's Tenet when we find it out. Um, Andy and I are just as anxious to know what's going on with that movie as the rest of you. So stay tuned. Uh, Andy, you've graciously agreed to take the summary on this first film. Uh, hit us with it, but also give us a little background on how we came onto this because it's not like you can just find this movie anywhere, right? Yes, that's true. This is uh, a new film from uh, Tricos Entertainment, um, who graciously reached out to us and asked us to do a review on this film. This will be available, I think it was actually available on Amazon Prime uh, starting last week uh, to rent. Um, so yeah, it's it's a video on-demand release from Tricos Enter- Entertainment, who we work with sometimes. <laughs> on occasion, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. The film is Bombshells and Dollies. Who's ready to see some beautiful ladies? They've been sexually fantasized since the late 1800s. They were drawn, painted, and eventually photographed. And they were called pinups. And this is uh, a 2019 documentary about the, the 2015 Miss Las Vegas, uh, or Viva Las Vegas, uh, pinup competition it's an international pinup girl competition which celebrates um that kind of pinup music and style cars the era and and of course there's a big uh international pinup competition so people come from all over the world uh there's 12 finalists at this stage uh they come from uh you know south south africa south america europe canada uh, the the united states um and so the documentary co- covers kind of their this ending everyone preparing for the competition getting um you know 
the different stages of it and you get to know the the 12 finalists um and you also just learn about kind of what what pinup is is and isn't about and why so many people are are into it and um it's a it's a nice little documentary and i i actually really enjoyed it but zach what did you think uh i i love the premise of this documentary right the idea of modern pinup girls all competing in a pinup girl global competition is like I, it, it's like documentary heaven, right? Like it's interesting and your characters and subjects are just a little kooky, but they got a lot of heart and you can really dig into their lifestyle and why they do what they do and why they've totally committed to like being this, this, this object of, of affection for so many people, pinup girls or what used to be like, it's fascinating. And there's stuff in Las Vegas and like, I, I want to know more. And so the subject immediately draws me in. And I'm a little bummed by the production value because there's some choices in presentation here that I think bring this down, but it's still really cool and it's a really great effort and I'd be anxious to see what these people do next. So let's talk about it. Right. So I, I really enjoyed it too. And one thing that uh, Mark Kermode always says on his show is that a good documentary should make you interested in something that you may not have any interest in at all. And that's definitely the case for me. I'm, I don't know anything about the world of pinup. I'm not interested in it. Uh, but this, this documentary I thought was really fascinating and really delving, delving into the world, the attitudes, the, the people in, involved. Um, and there's actually, um, to go along with this documentary, they actually have a whole website, uh, dedicated to the film which uh kind of highlights all the the competition winners which i'm just going to read off a quick list we have uh a victory violet maria scraba the blue-haired betty little bit Brittany jean angie honeyburst ivy fox dixie delight lulu divine hellcath ruby red and jane dean so these were the 12 uh, co- uh contestants great names yes and 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 like lifestyles to go with them right like they're not just these like characters on stage, these, these women are like living vicariously through these, through these ideals. And, and like, I, again, I, I love the setup like pinup cause there's so much, it's, it's so intriguing just by title. Is it like supposed to be just photography or is it video? Or are they running social media pages and like personas around this? Is it pornographic? What's this contest like? How long has this been going on? Who's going to these things? Who's interested? Like on its face, it's a very interesting idea. And, and, I was so intrigued by the first like 20 minutes of this movie. My, my main issue, I think probably structurally is that it really tries to cover like all 12 girls and that's admirable. And I think that's great. But like 12 different women, like in one 74 minute documentary, I think it is it's not quite feature length is, is a lot like, and you don't really get enough time with any of them to really dig in and 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 that kind of bummed me out but i do love the idea of the contest and traveling with these women and finding out more about who they are yeah what i really enjoyed is that they they do a lot of that while there are a lot of them i like that they did kind of take time that you get to know the 12 contestants and a couple of other uh, people that weren't contestants but are uh, big names um i'm trying to think just off the top of my, uh, like raquel perez who was she was like the the host or the mc of, of the competition or someone like dita Vontis who's got yeah the, who's a huge uh name in in pinup so it, it was interesting to meet these people to get to know know them get to know why they are interested in this how they got into it and what they kind of do because for some some of them it's a whole lifestyle it, it is like what they do like they it, it's a, kind of an offshoot of professional modeling yeah and, and i think that's what's so fascinating about these women because a lot of them you know they they, they say that pinup is what helps them 
kind of kind of become who the ideal of who they want to be now that they want to be these pinup girls per se but a lot of them explain that they were shy or they were like weird in high school which like who wasn't and like this this is really a way they found to like direct their passion to something really important to them which is super cool and like they go to like uso shows and like take pictures next to old warbirds and with like 80 year old vets and that stuff's neat and they find like rockabilly bars and they listen to music and go bowling and like that that sect of like a lifestyle is really interesting because it's not that popular but at the same time like i i wanted to know so much more like it could i i felt like it could have gone so much more deeper you know talk to the people these girls in relationships with and and maybe a little bit of psychology behind it and and why there's like this chasing of this ideal for what was attractive back then and, and there is a lot of that there's a lot of archival footage and 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 wartime stuff and uso stuff and, and, and all that's super neat um i just i don't know it didn't it didn't quite come together in the way it did for you and i want to know more about that why, why yeah. do you feel like it yeah um well before i say that I, I was gonna say it does cover it does try to cover a lot but in, in addition to the 12 uh, contestants there's also it tries to cover a little bit about kind of pinup fashion uh rockabilly music uh the cars are big so it, it kind of does kind of spread itself a little bit too thin um i i think i it was interesting to learn about this competition and how different it is from something like uh the miss america pageant um all these women look very very different they have completely different styles there it's also just more kind of accepting they had different uh body shapes body sizes were varied and much different from something like uh, like I said, um, Miss America, where everyone has to be like stick thin, like bikini model. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how progressive this contest seems to be. Viva Las Vegas, you know, Vegas is where it takes place. And you think of Vegas and you think of like old timey Vegas, which is what's so perfect for like this this thing that they say and they say in the movie everybody's kind of putting on a show in vegas everybody's like playing a bit of a part you're you're a gambler or you're you're a traveler or whatever everybody's everybody's kind of in on it and this really ties into that so it's the perfect place for it and i had a point and i kind of forgot where i was uh going with vegas so i should probably hand it back off to andy and hopefully he can um, me out of this I was gonna say <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the the soundtrack as well because like I said it uh rockabilly music is a, a big part of it and you hear that throughout the the whole thing the, the whole documentary and as yeah. well as they've kind of focused in on on the music as well and how that's a big part of uh, both this competition and just uh the pinup scene at large yeah and I I know this is a a lower budget production you can just kind of see it in, in in kind of the presentation and the cameras they use and a little bit of film grain and some 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 questionable cinematography decisions but regardless there's a ton of stock footage and like photos it cuts in between and the music is definitely inspired i wish they'd had some licensed stuff but i know that's probably super expensive uh, my point previously that i totally forgot this contest is like surprisingly progressive which is really cool like you'd think being about something that's like 70 years old now right like pinup art and pinup girls uh it would be very old hat but there are well there's one specific woman of color in the contest uh there are multiple people from all over the world you don't have to just be from america there are women with different accents uh tattoos are a section of the of, of the of the film that are explained as acceptable now even though it didn't used to be like it's really surprising and endearing in that way. And I'm sure there's problems obviously uh, under the surface, but for the documentary, like the presentation wise, it, it seems like a really 
just a really endearing thing to be a part of. Very positive. You know, these women work with charity and they really commit to like this lifestyle of trying to be a good person. And I think that's ultimately what's supposed to matter. Not just looks, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was a little bit of a bummer. Uh, each one of these women has, a, well, not each, a lot of them have like kind of, kind of a sad story wherever they're coming from, right? Like I said earlier, that a lot of them are like, were weird in high school, but more than that, some of them are like struggling with like uh, some, some kind of like life, lifelong disease or illness. Others of them are like trying to raise money for their families. Like, so that's a bit of a bummer. And in a way it felt a little bit like a reality TV show and a little less like a documentary that way. But at the same time, if you're going to cover 12 women, inevitably a couple of them are going to have some unfortunate happenstances. Right. And, and that didn't feel necessarily out of place or canned. It actually felt super genuine. Um, and I, I really respected that. Yeah. It was really candid in that way for sure. Yeah. <sighs> Any other thoughts? I hate to just move on. <laughs> no, yeah. I, th- I think I'm ready for recommendations. All right. Uh, Andy, would you recommend bombshells and dollies? Yeah, I would. It was it was a really well made uh, documentary and really interested interested me. Someone who's not in into this, which I think is a sign of a really good uh, documentary film. Um, there's great. There's obviously very beautiful women, but there's you get to know each of them and see their style. There's lots of there's actually lots of great photography that's in in the film that that you see all their professional photos kind of displayed as they talk about them. And it's just you know it talks about like I said, music and fashion and cars and all that kind of uh, together. So yeah, yeah I, w- I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I'd recommend it as well. Uh, I'm not sure who I'd recommend it to. That's that's a bit of a challenge, um, but probably women who are looking for a little bit of you know empowering media because I think this does that very well. I, I don't think these women are are. I think I think they're in control of their situation. I think this documentary respects that. I think I definitely recommend it to fans of like rockabilly. I mean, that's that's it's certainly made for you. If and and for people who like going to Viva Las Vegas, you'll love this because this is definitely like your this is definitely your scene, and I, I think you'd be into that. So otherwise, it's it's pretty good. It's it's not too long. Uh, it's pretty harmless. Um, I don't know where you'd be able to find it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, it, it it will be available on uh, video on demand on I think off Amazon Prime uh, starting uh, since last week, so it's been out for about a week. Oh, okay. Well, if you want to watch Bombshells and Dollies, Amazon Prime. If you want to know more about the pinup world and what that means nowadays, not too shabby, I think. Bombshells and Dollies. I, I do wonder, Andy, any idea why it's not just called Pinup? Because I went looking, and I'm assuming there's another film probably called Pinup that's got the title or something on lock. It's just a weird. I don't know. It probably sounds like a like. Uh, I'm sure that they're in like the lingo or jargon that probably means more. Maybe. Um, so it it'd be like if you called it a skating documentary skateboard. Probably. You know? <laughs> yeah. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I. I it, like I said, it's a fascinating idea. The more I think about it, the more I kind of want to know more. And I think the documentary does a fine job doing that. And speaking of knowing more, uh, we need to talk about our next film. Uh, normally in the middle of the show, we would talk about some controversial news or something that's killing cinema in our Death of Cinema segment, or maybe even some trailers that are coming out. Instead, this week, we've got a mini review, which is not something we normally do, but we're going to try it out. Warner Brothers animated film, Scoob. Scoob, do you realize where we are? No. Look around, man. The clean, modern aesthetic, the cool blue color palette. We're in Ikea. The Falcon Fury. Did you say Ikea? Nope, I said Falcon Fury, just like you. 
Scoob is, of course, a clever CGI retelling of the original Hanna-Barbera property, Scooby-Doo. We have our mystery gang, right? Shaggy, Scooby, Velma, Fred, and Daphne driving around the little mystery machine, solving mysteries all over town. Except now, instead of being in, like, the 60s, they are in modern day, right? We've got cell phones and and lcd screens they're still driving around a goofy old van but it's it's a bit more touched up and the whole movie is cgi it's got a modern look it's got science fiction feel it's it's much more pandering to kids nowadays they make jokes about netflix and it's 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 very very avant-garde uh the movie is available on amazon prime cinema video for the low low price of (laughs) 19.99 to rent it for 48 Uh. hours i could not convince andy to watch it for the good of the podcast uh 102 episodes and this is how far my goodwill has gotten me but fortunately i live with a wonderful woman who wanted to watch it as well Uh, i'm a bit of a scooby-doo fan so believe it or not um so we watched it and and this is this is me reviewing it. Normally I'd ask Andy what you thought of Scoob, but you didn't <laughs> see it, so I'll just jump in and try to be brief about this. Right. So uh, but, but before you get started, what was what was it like paying twenty dollars for a rental? Walk me through that. It hurts. Uh, it's easy. <laughs> first, first it's easy to do. You can do it on your phone. And I, I, I we we rented it on our phone. We went got uh, takeout, and then on the way home she rented it, and then we got home on the Xbox and watched it, which is where we watch much of our stuff on our. Little, little, little Xbox One. Uh, and and that was fine. Runs in HD, runs great, does not lag or get stuck. So if you're paying $20 for an experience, it's going to be, it's going to work. I, I, I hope they're on, Amazon has moved their stuff to some kind of like primary servers or something. Like, because if it had been glitchy, I would not have had fun, but it worked great. It was right on the front page, ran fine. So Scoob, like I said, is, is, is the origin story of, of Scooby-Doo. That's what we're supposed to be getting at. And also Shaggy, who is much more of a kind of main character in this than, than normally. Normally in Scooby-Doo, your, your, your main characters are your, like, your top, your, your top six, right? Your, your main, your top five, excuse me, your main picks, uh, the mystery gang and Scooby-Doo. Really Scooby-Doo is the main character of the cartoon. In this, it's more Shaggy and Scooby. The two of them are obviously pals and the movie opens with, uh, young Shaggy walking around on Venice beach. Cause that's where they live. They live in, in California next to Venice beach. Uh, and through, through a couple of odd ha- happenstances, lonely, lonely Shaggy, this kid who has no friends stumbles onto this little puppy named Scooby-Doo. And, and you can see it in the trailer. They, they have this fun run in and then they meet the rest of the mystery gang later that evening. Cause it happens to be Halloween. Uh, and, and because it's Halloween, they happen to stumble onto a spooky house and there's a spooky ghost. Who's not really a ghost. And they very quickly, uh, are able to solve this little scam. Some dude was running in his house that doesn't really make any sense. None of these meddling film. kids are back. Yes, yeah, you get the meddling kids line in like the first 20 minutes, and then you get a montage that is a recreation of the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You intro, just in CGI with some new stuff, and then you get a new music track and everything that's just a remake of the old music track. Um, but this time a girl sings it. Yep. Uh, and, and then you get like high school mystery gang and and what's weird is this movie makes a lot of uh just kind of overt like plot skips uh it it doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about where our characters are what they're doing it's just hey there's this guy who's running a scam out of a house just because and he solved like they they solved the mystery and now now they put a guy away they better start start a business mystery incorporated 
um, does not spend a lot of time thinking about how our characters are getting from A to B or why things are happening. Motivations are, are just kind of not really important in this movie. It's a children's film and it does right. not waste <laughs> time with it. Yeah. I, I was going to ask. So as it's obviously aimed at younger audiences. Yes. Uh, so what, what what's there? What works for like kids and families? Right. What's going on? So first off, there's the sense of humor, right? It's much more modern. You, you'll see uh, in the trailer, there's spaceships flying around and a superhero, the Blue Falcon, who are Shaggy and Scooby are palling around with for most of this movie, while the rest of the mystery team is kind of hot on their trail. There's lots of humor about Netflix and smartphones and Spotify. Um, Ira Glass, the host of This American Life, the podcast. <laughs> cast is in this film simon cowell is in this film like in multiple scenes like an animated simon cowell from american idol um lots of like overt pop culture modern there's an ikea joke all of that is supposed to like modernize what's happening here right this the scooby formula um and i think that's supposed to be good for kids and and scooby and shaggy are supposed to be goofy but ultimately like i don't think there's a whole lot of like physical comedy that works whereas in the old one that was mostly the gag a lot of goofy sound effects and and you know mm-hmm. that that's pretty much what was happening for kids this isn't really aimed that way i don't know if little kids would love it but as far as the plot's concerned that's probably who would be into it um well i was just going to mention just reading through this um incre- pretty incredible uh, voice cast you have um Will Forte, Mark Wahlberg, Jason Isaacs, Gina Rodriguez, Zac Efron, Amanda Seyfried, uh, Ken Jeong, Tracy Morgan. I mean, yeah. it's like it goes on and on. Simon Cowell. Chris, yes, Hen- Simon Hendrix. Cowell. Yeah. Uh, and, and this voice cast plays a variety of Hanna-Barbera characters. That's something interesting that's happening in this movie. It's not just about the Scooby gang because Blue Falcon is actually the superhero sidekick to a dog named, uh, I forget, but he's a, Hanna-Bar- he's a Hanna-Barbera character of like a separate show and property uh there's another character in this uh from another separate Hanna-Barbera property I won't get into it because he's a bit of a cameo our villain is Dick Dastardly who is the the villain from Wacky Races which is a separate Hanna-Barbera property so you get this interesting melding universe building yeah of of like characters from Hanna-Barbera cartoons just stacking on top of one another in what appears to be some kind of like universe building or maybe just a lot of old callbacks for like fans, but there's a whole lot of like direct character draw from that, which is cool. Cause you get very interesting, very diverse characters. Our villain Dick Dastardly voiced by Jason Isaacs is fantastic. He's probably my favorite animated film villain I've seen in, in the last year. He's awesome and he doesn't get enough screen time, but he's got interesting motivations. And, like, that stuff is cool. The adult stuff is cool. If you were a fan of, like, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon back in the day, you'll probably be into what's happening here. But at the same time, like, it's not made for you. It's supposed to be made for kids. And it doesn't really find that happy place. It reminds me of the live-action Scooby-Doo. It's not really made for either audience because it's trying to please both parties. Um, yeah, so I was I was going to say that those... Um uh, like you said, those pop culture references or like references techno- te- technology, that's definitely for like the older crafts for the parents. Yeah. But but it's like a lot of that stuff is already going to be a- a- outdated. Right. And and some of them, to be fair, and I should get into that, the things that really do work in this movie are the dialogue because there's a lot of those like whippy, quick, Whippy, what am I trying to say here? One-liners really land. Jokes about Netflix and Ikea and stuff. They're actually kind of funny. Like, they're actually pretty well-written, so that's good stuff. The animation's really solid. There's a lot of, just as a brief side note, the lighting in this movie is really good. The animation lighting. And also the mechanical structures. Ships, robots, 
buildings. All of that stuff is really well designed and really works great. And I was really impressed by that. So as far as presentation goes, it works pretty good. The lines are pretty funny. The plot's a bit of a mess, but you can't think too much about it because it's a kid's movie. Ultimately, it's not too shabby, I guess. And and I should probably give a recommendation. Not too shaggy. That's shaggy, yeah. <laughs> I should probably give a should probably give a recommendation because that's uh, what you do at the end of one of these. So would I recommend Scoob? Yeah, I think I would. Uh, would you recommend it for $20? I'm getting to that, Andy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Wait. I, I think I would recommend this movie as a film. If you've got kids, if you're a fan of the old one, if you're looking for something for date night, it's a good time. I'd say Scoob is probably worth the price of admission. Is it worth $20 to rent at home? Maybe. I'd say <laughs> one if you have multiple people watching, probably. If you're by yourself, <laughs> it's a little probably steep. not. Well, yeah. it, it is important to to mention that this is the second film in addition to last month's um, Trolls World Tour to be released on, on Video On Demand, which was unprecedented. And again, Trolls uh, World Tour made a huge amount of money um, on video demand, which people didn't, we they didn't know if that would happen or not, and so it'll, it'll, it's going to be interesting to see how well Scoob does uh, financially. Yeah, it really is. I I, I don't know what's going to happen to it. I I when it, when we rented on Amazon, I just had this sinking feeling, like navigating to where it was and hitting A to watch it. I was like, in three, it, it, like, is this going to be just down two rows and free in six months? Like, it's just going to be on Amazon, but like, oh, you don't have to pay twenty dollars now, you know, because. Definitely feels like it'll be available on streaming services th- relatively th- soon, right? I think what they would uh, what they would probably do is just drop the price, you know, because yeah. because if you want to still kind of respect the sanctity of like this, pr- you know, uh, premium content, mm-hmm. uh, you know, say next month it drops to fifteen or it drops to ten, the month after that it drops to eight, after that it's like a normal a normal rental, which is like usually like three or four dollars. Yeah, so uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. Uh, I'm, you know, hey, it'd be great if it, if it landed big. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like the old school Scooby Doo story and uh, Scooby Doo episodes. Like the first the first few seasons, I thought were really clever animation for what they were. And um, you know, it'd be great if if this got a little bit of love. Um, Scooby Doo has somehow managed to withstand the test of time as like an IP and a property, mostly in television. Um, this one definitely breaks some rules as far as the original formula goes, but. You know, I, I'd love to see a big revival of of the, of of the formula. I do like it, and and I don't know if this will be the thing that does it, especially because it's not going to theaters now. But like, clearly, they put some money into this. They got voice acting that's really solid. They recast Matthew Lillard, which I think was a huge mistake. Like, <laughs> clearly, clearly, Warner Brothers was like intending for this to be something more, and and this is a big rebrand for it. So we'll see what happens. Like, I, I would bet this gets adapted into a, like a a, a obviously lesser quality CGI television series, you know, where they just pick up like with these characters where the movie leaves off. I don't know if they'll get a second one. We'll see how it performs. That'll be it. All right. And with that, we should move on to our last film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one as well. But I'm not going to talk as much because, my God, I just ran a marathon with that. <laughs> uh, so sorry about that review. Uh, the movie is 2017's Safety Brothers thriller, Good Time. Don't be confused. It's just gonna make it worse for me. So, Good Time is the story of Robert Pattinson's Nicholas, a young, up-and-coming criminal, I guess. (laughs) 
in New York City who who is who is living and getting by with his mentally disabled brother. Uh, this is a very important part of the film. Uh, they are on their own. They've struck out away from their parents who are not present in the film. They have a grandmother they were living with. Now they live alone and they are not getting by. So in order to survive essentially and have enough money to live and pay rent rather than get respectable jobs, uh, Robert Pattinson decides he's going to rob a bank with his brother. The two of them rob a bank and they get caught or one of them gets caught. Uh, the, the brother is caught and taken to Rikers Island and knowing that Rikers Island is not a place for his mentally challenged brother, uh, Robert Pattinson decides he has one night to get 10 grand to pay a bailiff to, or a, a, a bond place to bail him out. So having no prospects and no real good way to do this, he goes on what is essentially a crazy wild night that we, that we follow where he's trying to get enough money uh, to get his brother out of uh, prison. It is a very tense thriller. It is claustrophobic at times it is bathed in neon and has this this wonderful synth soundtrack that's fascinating and it is a fantastic precursor in my humble opinion to 2019's uncut gems andy what did you think of good time uh so i was really into this and if you've seen uh any other afty brothers film especially uncut gems you know that uh, they're really great at conveying stress and anxiety i had some of that anxiety that i watched uh, in Uncut Gems also come up in this where there's so much going on and, and there's just stressful situation after stressful situation. Um, and, and I really enjoyed it. it. It starts off like with the bank heist, um, which reminded me of uh, like the Dark Knight bank heist, which is one of the great openings uh, of all time. And this is like the opposite of that where you have a bank heist, but everything goes wrong um in the middle of it and th- and then the credits start rolling but like the meat of the film is him trying to get his brother um out of prison um but in addition to to just the stress you have the lights and the soundtrack that the safety brothers are, are known for this is something that i really wish i had had the chance to see on the big screen i could tell it would be a much different experience kind of being enveloped in in like the lights and sound of it all yeah, um, while I'm thinking about it, before we get too far away from it, on occasion, Texas Theater here in Dallas does like retro screenings. If they ever throw on Good Time, you and I should go see it because I would totally go Definitely. see this in a the theater. Yeah. Um, yes, this movie is claustrophobic, like I said, um, and I think that's so much in part to the way it's shot. Similar to Uncut Gems, Safety Brothers shot this film almost documentary style. The camera is always in people's faces. It is very close. There are very few establishing shots, and it is so close to people's faces, often they're slipping in and out of focus. Like, it's constantly close up, and, and the camera's just on people's faces, and it's hard to get away, and like... It, you just feel so sucked into what's happening and you're just locked on people's eye lines and you're just looking at their, like every emotion. And it's so well directed in that way, but also acted. This might be Robert Pattinson's best performance ever. It's so good. And you might disagree. I don't know if you disagree. I can't tell by your stoic, stern <laughs> expression over there. But like, oh my God, he's so tight in this movie. Every, every line is, is so well directed. So it's funny because I, I was listening to a couple of other reviews uh, of this. And one of the, the comments was that people saw this and they were like, oh, Pattinson, he, he's so great. He's incredible. He's all this. And, and the argument was he's been doing this for a while. You just haven't noticed, you know, <laughs> right. like he's, he's been out of the, the, the Harry Potter Twilight series for a while and he's been doing great um, kind of uh, indie work. Yeah, it's true. Um, everybody remembers when he was doing Twilight and then he did like Water for Elephants, which nobody went and saw. And it's like, <laughs> oh, what's, what's that thing Edward Collins doing? And now I, I look at a movie like Good Time and I think, God, I don't know. 
I don't know how I would feel going back and looking at like Twilight just because it's like it, it, maybe it's a sign of a good actor, right? It's like night and day. Like he is a different person now. Um, and this movie is such a great example of his performance. Like he he plays this character Nicholas who is is trying to do the right thing for his brother, right? He knows his brother is, is going to be scared. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's that more that moral gray area is is a really important part of the theme, but. Uh, to get to that in a second, he's trying to do what he thinks is the right thing for his brother, right? Like his brother is going to be in jail and he's going to be scared and he's he's got to get him out of, of, of this place. And he's willing to do anything to get him there. But he also doesn't seem to understand he's the reason his brother is in prison. Uh, he is the reason all of these bad things are happening. And just like Uncut Gems, we have a hero who is in no way a good person. He's not the good guy in this story. He's he's kind he's just kind of a bad dude all around. He is willing to screw people over and lie and cheat and steal and manipulate and and break somebody out of prison for for really what are his own selfish actions because he's alone and he doesn't have anybody else and and anybody else in his life he's kind of lying or lying to or cheating from or or stealing. But he's got his brother who who he seems to genuinely care about, seems to. Um yeah, he maybe, what maybe I was, not though. Right. <laughs> what I was going to jump in and say is that he's uh, like uh, in Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler's character Howard, uh, Robert Pattinson, uh, who's who plays Constantine or Connie for short. Um, he's incredibly unlikable. Like he he's a schemer. He's a manipulator. He's a gaslighter. He's he's constantly scheming. And he's getting in and out of talking his way in and out of of, of situations. There's there's yes. a good and and the, this movie kind of um, uh, upsets. Uh, expectations uh, or subverts expectations in a couple ways there's this he has this weird relationship with uh, jennifer jason lee's character where she's clearly like his sugar mama and she's like you know good 25 years older than him yeah um and he kind of tries to manipulate her into into posting the 10 grand for for the bond and we get a really great scene there but that's that's one of those kind of flip the script moments because in a lot of films that would have been flipped you would have had a young young girl trying to you know gold dig some older older dude and so the, this flips a lot of things on its head that way yeah it, it does you're right and 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 i think the presentation of a almost like a MacGuffin character in the brother who's mentally challenged, who's in Rikers Island, who's only in like four scenes in this movie. He's in, he's at the beginning. And then a little bit later, that's it. Like he's not just like ever present. The, it doesn't keep cutting back to him. You get him at the beginning, you get him getting caught. And then it is exclusively following Robert Pattinson's character. The rest of the film. Um, he's completely out of, out of sight, maybe even a little out of mind. And I think that's fascinating because our character who he's trying to, to get out of prison is so innocent in what's happening. Like he's, he's a victim of like nature versus nurture, right? Like fundamentally he's not a bad kid at all, but because of his brother and the way he's been brought up, he seems that way. And, and the few scenes we get with him, uh, he's, he's played by Benny Safdie. Who's one of the directors of this film. Uh, also one of the direct, one of the Safdie brothers, right? He's fantastically acted. In the in the opening oh, scene, yeah. when he's sitting with the therapist and, and talking to him, he, he just kind of has this, this little subtle breakdown. And again, the camera's so close on their faces. It's all you can see. You can't even see the room they're in. It's like heartbreaking. Like, And and Benny Safdie has not acted, as far as I know, in anything else since and doesn't seem to have a desire to, which is really a shame because he's really good at it. Um, it. It's just so well performed and so nuanced and it plays so good this kind of stumbling, bumbling character doesn't really understand where they're at against Robert Pattinson's absolute manipulator who, who is all about getting what I want all the time. And, and the two of them just make this 
fascinating like dichotomy of character um, that really makes Pattinson's journey feel like it's motivated for the right reasons, but it totally isn't. No, yeah, absolutely. You have two characters on wildly different end. One is probably like completely pure because he's because of his men- mental state. He like he doesn't know what he's doing is wrong. He's like he can't know. He's you know. And then obviously, <laughs> um, Robert Pattinson, uh, Constantine is just like I said. He they rob a bank at the in the beginning, and that there's lots of other manipulations he does throughout the film to try to get out of this. And it's it's really kind of impressive how he gets in from one situation to another he you know he he tricks this person into letting uh, let me borrow your car let me stay here drop me off there let me borrow your phone all these things that and they all seem a little harmless initially but they all i mean they're part of like schemes and scams and it's it's just a lot right he's never he never helps anybody else it is always what's in it for me what am i getting out of this constantly and to be fair it's it is a night of thrills and chills. Like it is it is not just like a one off thing. Like it, it is progressively getting deeper and deeper and deeper into lies and deceit in the same way Uncut Gems does. Like it's this it's this really clever roller coaster kind of thing, um, a really big drop kind of format that the Safety brothers have kind of developed here and maybe perfected with Uncut Gems. Where like you're just going down further and further and further and like you just keep sinking to new levels of lies and manipulation until ideally in one of these situations it all comes crashing down. And it just it just keeps you in this line of tension where you don't know where it's going next and you don't really know what the plan is until you're halfway through it and by then it's too late and your character's in some horrible position. The cops are knocking at the door and what are they going to do? And it's just so nail-biting, man. Like, I get stressed out watching I felt like after I watched this movie, I needed a stiff drink and a cigarette. I was so stressed <laughs> out. Same, same as Uncut Gems. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and it's it's really interesting how uh, the Safdie brothers create that that tension. Um, and it's it's as simple as after they rob the bank, um, they, they kind of run through a few stores, and then they get to where their, their pickup, their, whoever's driving the getaway car is supposed to be, and that person isn't there. And they're on the phone, they're calling, they're like, where is he, where is he? And they're trying to get ahead. And he's like, just around the corner. And it, it might be 30 seconds of waiting, but it feels like an eternity because you're just like, where's where's their getaway car? Where's their getaway car? What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many instances of that, of like things are about to fall apart if something doesn't fall through right now. And it just, at, at the last minute, it does. And a lot of times it doesn't, but he manages to kind of slip out of the situation anyways. Yeah. And the Safety brothers have figured out this brilliant way to present New York City, which seems to be their favorite place to make films, with just this level of, like, grime and scum, but presented in, like, a beautiful fashion, right? Our, our criminals are criminals, and they are doing bad things. They're robbing banks. They are trying to break people out of prison. They're doing drug trading at one point. There's sexual activity in this film. Like, there's all kinds of bad stuff going on. Yeah, you, you and, don't get... Yeah, sorry. I was gonna say you don't get the the romanticized New York. No, you, you don't no. get Times Square. You don't you don't get the uh, yes the Statue of Liberty or Central Park or any of those like yeah. tourist things. Everything looks like it's covered in this layer of grime and dust and age, from like the bail bond joint to like this house he's hold up at, hold up at at one point to towards the end of the film, an amusement park at night where they're hiding out, and it, everything is bathed in this beautiful neon light i mean not not like blade runner 2049 neon but definitely similar color palettes where like in in scenes where it would make no sense for things to be have like a strange lighting color it is uh the bail bond place has this 
like purple LED bar going behind the guy, the 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 bail the bailiff guy who just illuminates the whole place in this like purple glow. And and at one point, Robert Pattinson is at this amusement park at the end of the film, and everything has these bright greens and reds and like these beautiful clashes of color that are just so striking visually. It's it's really incredible work. It's again, it's similar to Uncut Gems. Yeah. I- Again, back to the visuals of the use of color and sound, especially when they get into this amusement park, it's a really good excuse to kind of um, really use that to a lot. But we see it uh, throughout the the rest of the film. And, it, and like I said, it's something that would really benefit from a theatrical viewing. Yeah, big time. And also sound. We didn't talk a whole lot about that. The score, similar to Uncut Drums, is electronic. A lot of synthesizers. And it's just kind of pulsing and pounding. Most most scenes, it's just kind of ro- rolling under what's happening with just a steady beat just to keep things moving a little bit and keep that tension on. But when when somebody's got to run from the cops <laughs> or there's some kind of fight or something, it really kicks in and gets going, especially at the end of the film. And then somehow, very poignantly, the film ends with a lyrical acoustic track. Very different. Um, but a very sharp turn for what turns out to be a pretty sharp ending. Um just very, very well composed, very well structured, very well thought out, very planned, very, very well directed. Yeah, um, that reminded me that. So there was uh, like some themes in here, but one thing that that really sticks out to me is uh, I, I think there's a little bit of a commentary on on race here because so Constantine is played by Robert Pattinson is white, and he gets away with so much, and he outwits the cops so much simply because he's white and th- there are a couple of, of of black people in the film as well and they get mistaken for criminals several times even though yeah, they're not they just get because played. yes you know and, and so I, it's a very not it's a subtle kind of nod uh or not not it's a subtle break, reminder of that i guess yeah and also there i think there's a commentary like you said on flipping the script between men and women but also just like toxic masculinity in general like robert pattinson takes advantage of a number of people using gender um most of the characters in this film are men especially the ones doing bad things and also the cops are all dudes there are very few women in this film and when they're when they are there they're probably getting taken advantage of um uncut gems had a similar kind of kind of byline running under it it's mm-hmm. it's really something and this is the second time i've seen this film um i had watched it a few months back um just because i was bored and it was on amazon um and and even now i'm not really sure what exactly it all means but like it's 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 a movie that i think demands a second screening (laughs) maybe a third in my case yeah it's a really cool picture um i'm i'm so impressed by the safty brothers right like because uncut gems i think was the first film you'd seen by them right yeah Okay, so I I saw this before Uncut Gems. You're seeing this after. What do you think of these two in relation to one another? I think um, Uncut Gems is a little bit more focused. I think it has kind of a a deeper character study than uh, this film is. Uh, And also, part of this film, while he talks his way out in and out of situations, a little bit got a little bit unbelievable, whereas I I think uh, Uncut Gems is is really grounded. But they both have that real, like, gritty New York uh, feel that, you know, it's not the it's not the glitz and glamour. It's, you know, it's the subway. It's the it's the cabs. It's the train yard. It's, you know, like the when they're when they're in the jewelry dis- district in in um, Uncut Gems, which they had to really work hard to get even get in there and be able to film in, in that that world. But they do such a great job of bringing you in to like the real New York. Yeah, like if, if Michael Bay is an auteur filmmaker for making big explosions, right? 
Um, the Safdie brothers are our tours for making like scumbags in New York. <laughs> um, yeah. And it works. It totally works. Like it, it, every, both of these films feel so original. It doesn't feel like I've seen anything like this before. Um, they're really doing something cool. And like, they've got like a vision of, of, of an ideal kind of film world. They seem to be building here. Um, it's just so inviting in the worst way. Cause both of these movies stress me out so bad, man, but you're right. Uncut gems even more. So, if there is anything negative to say about Good Time, it's that it does suffer from some significant pacing issues in the in the middle. Right around the second act, it really slows down and picks back up by Act Three, but it 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 really hits the brakes in a weird way. Um, but it's just such an interesting picture, and and coming from two directors who had, for most of us at this point, been unheard of in 2017, it's easy to see why Uncut Gems got produced and went to theaters and like what the, whatever they're going to be doing next is bigger. These guys are growing and changing in the best way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And with that, we should probably move on to reviews, I guess, or recommendations, I should say. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts, Andy? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend good time? Yeah, I absolutely would. Again, it's just like uncut gems. It's a huge stress inducing, anxiety inducing uh, type of film, but in a very good way, it, it shows the director's ability to create tension. Um, and we get another kind of fascinating character study of a very unlikable uh, protagonist, great soundtrack, great visuals. Um, it is really violent. There's some hard R stuff in there. So avoid it if that's not your thing, but uh, definitely recommend it. Yeah, I think I'd recommend it as well. Um, it's smart in the in the in the best way. Like it, it's just, I say it's stressful, and it is. And you got to know a little bit where you're getting into. But I think if you've heard this review and you're interested, you should probably go check it out. It's definitely a hard R. Uh, it's very similar to Uncut Gems. So if you like that in tone, I think you'll like this. I wouldn't recommend it to my parents, or at least my mom. <laughs> Maybe my now I don't think my dad like it would like it either. So. It's tough, but man, it's it's such a smart movie. And if you, if you liked what was happening in Uncut Gems, I think you'll really like this. If you're looking for a good Robert Pattinson, this is maybe his best to date. Um, it is a very good, very good movie. I, I Man, I like this movie a lot. And with that, we should wrap the show. Andy, what are we watching next week? Uh, so the, we got a couple of things. So, and this is just... Uh placeholder but trumbo is going to be on on netflix that's not a set in set in stone but not a placeholder now there's a lower third and everything you can see it (laughs) and uh rocket man on amazon prime which we had uh wanted to watch a couple years ago when it came out this is the uh elton john uh biopic starring taron edgerton yes Uh, and also wanted to mention make sure to mention that hbo max launches next week uh, next Wednesday, uh, May twenty seventh. Um, so if you have if you have HBO Go now, if you have a subscription to that, you're automatically going to be rolled over into HBO Max uh, at no extra cost, no extra fees. It's going to be the same price. Same thing if you have an existing uh, subscription, I think, and if you have it through like your cable provider. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about HBO Max. It's always cool things in 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 movies always seem to happen the day after we record the show i don't know why that is yeah every time our episode comes out tuesday so next week uh next week we'll be watching probably trumbo definitely rocket man and then we'll talk about hbo max the week after that's the only way we're gonna have to do this thing i'm sure we'll watch something over there just to see what the platform's like but i'm excited yeah that's actually going to open up our uh the number of films available because hbo kind of has a a little bit smaller selection compared to a lot of other streaming services and now they're going to get a lot more from the warner media library oh man speaking of i made that joke during the scoob review that it was probably going to be on amazon it'll probably go straight to hbo max it's warner brothers right like that's yeah. 
that's their thing. That's where they're going to put stuff. All right, well, that's where you can probably end up finding that in six months if you don't want to pay $20 now. With that being said, we should tell people where they can find us. If you enjoyed the show, uh, you can find us on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We are doing a little bit more video work now. There's a chance you're watching this on video right now. So if you are, uh, hit the follow button on whatever page you're watching this on, be that YouTube or Facebook. Uh, we're putting out clips as well. So follow us on Facebook at Offscript Film Movie for more. We're doing a little bit on Twitter, getting, getting around over there. So you can check us out there. But if you want to Help the show. If you want to contribute to what we're doing, the biggest thing you can do is tell your friends, share the show where you can, and just subscribe. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes every single Tuesday right to your phone, or maybe check out a live stream. We're kind of doing that more, too. Uh, check us out on our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us your comments, personal reviews, recommendations for things we should watch, suggestions or, or, or questions about reviews we've already done, at Review. May, sorry, almost had that so perfect. Mail at offscriptfilmreview.com <laughs> is where you can email us any questions. Mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's the show. Uh, <laughs> that's that's so the show. Perfect. Andy confirmed that is, in fact, the show. <laughs> From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.